Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this episode comes from LinkedIn. If you're in sales, you know cold calling is stressful, especially when all that effort isn't even leading to sales. It might be time to take a more informed approach. The new LinkedIn Sales Navigator uses data to provide insights and recommendations at a scale impossible for humans, unleashing seller superpowers and increasing revenue. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash trial. That's linkedin.com slash trial for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. I am Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who believes rules were made to be broken, except for the rules I make, which you had to better fucking follow or else. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Michelle Gelfand, a cultural psychologist and distinguished university professor at the University of Maryland. She's the author of a new book called Rule Makers, Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures Wire Our Minds. It's about why countries, societies, businesses, and individuals follow rules and why others do the exact opposite. It's a perfect topic for tech people. Michelle, welcome to Recode Decode. Great to be here. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. How do you get to become a cultural psychologist? <laughs> what does that mean? Well, you know, I, I took a major pivot when I was in college. I was pre-med, and then I went abroad to London. I was sort of a sheltered Long Island kid who saw mm-hmm. New York and the world through that famous New York. Sure cartoon, went to London, and I was totally shocked by the sounds and the You still have jokes. the Long Island. I got the Long Island you do, accent. You do. I grew up in Long Island. I, I know. I've escaped from Long Island. No offense to people there. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember calling my father. This actually made a huge impact on I me, mean, this one phone call. And I said, Dad, it's really weird. He's from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. That people just travel from London to Paris to the Netherlands on the weekend. And he said to me in his quintessential New York accent, he said, well, think about it like it's going from New York to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So the next day, literally, I booked a trip to Egypt. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Pop, it's like going from New York to California. Right. And from then on, I started really studying informally culture, this omnipresent force that is invisible all around us. Mm-hmm. It's like two fish in the water, they say. You know, they're all kind of swimming along, and one older fish comes up and says, hey, boys, how's the water? And they're like, what the fuck is the water? Right, right. <laughs> you right. know, that's what we live in. We live in this water. We have no idea how it's affecting us. And so mm-hmm. I went back to Colgate. I was an undergrad there. And I started to say, hey, can I make a career out of studying culture? Use the best scientific tools to study it. Unfortunately, I had to go to Champaign-Urbana to get my PhD, but it was a great... Great run with Harry Triandis, who founded the field of cultural psychology. So the things you study are whatever you want, right? Correct. Talk about the range of things you can study. Yeah. So, you know, I'm interested in culture very broadly defined. It could be national culture. It could be state culture. It could be organizational culture. It could be even culture in the household. Like, Mm -hmm. how much does your household focus on rules versus have more permissiveness? Something I'm constantly negotiating with my teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know, is there a common principle that we can sort of identify? Like in physics or in biology, there's pretty simple principles that help understand phenomenon. And 
and that's why I set out to really understand um, rule makers and rule breakers. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the psychology of that is very similar across all these different contexts, the right. antecedents and the consequences, the trade-offs that they provide for groups and so individuals. So let's talk about that concept in your book, the idea of, because it's a concept that's big in Silicon Valley of rule breakers, or they think they're rule breakers, that's although right. I think they're rule makers. So, <laughs> um, so talk about those two, the rule makers and rule breakers, and then this tight and loose cultures. We'll get to that in a second. But what were you thinking when you were doing this book? Yeah, so, you know, I sort of traveled the world, and you see these, like, interesting contrasts where you're in Germany and you see people, you know, in general, like waiting very patiently, you know, on the street corners, even when cars are not around. And then you go to New York City, maybe San Francisco, and you see people like jaywalking with babies in tow. Mm-hmm. Or you go to Singapore, the fine no, country. They're looking at phones. <laughs> That's right. They're like they're almost going to yeah. get killed. Mm-hmm. Or you go to Singapore. Have you ever been there? You know, mm-hmm. it's called a fine nation because you can get fined or punished for like things like spitting or chewing gum. And then you take a short plane right over to New Zealand, and people are walking barefoot in banks. I had a reporter mm-hmm. call me and say, why do we do this? You know, and it's very permissive culture. So I started seeing some of these contrasts. So I wanted to try to actually assess it with, with surveys first mm-hmm. across, in this case, it was across 30 nations, try to put countries on a continuum, even though all cultures have tight and loose elements, they're rule makers and rule breakers. Some cultures in our data, Japan, Germany, Austria, Pakistan, had much stronger rules. And other cultures like New Zealand, Netherlands, uh, the United States in general, Brazil, Greece, they were much more permissive. Mm-hmm. So I was really interested in why is this evolve? Like it has to have some functionality. Mm-hmm. So I started measuring, as I was collecting this data across 30 countries, 7,000 people, the history of these these nations. How many times has the place been invaded in the last 100 years? Um, Japan has had a lot of conflict. Germany's had a lot of conflict. The United States, you know, we've had our conflicts, but we haven't been worried about Mexico or Canada invading us for centuries. Mm-hmm. I also measured population density. How many people per square mile? Like places like Singapore have 20,000 people per square mile. Places like New Zealand have 50 people per square mile, mm-hmm. more sheep per capita than people, even as far back as 1500. Like how many people are living in these places? And I measured natural disasters, Mother Nature's Fury. How many times have you had to be, you know, deal with this, this sort of, disasters that other places don't have to succumb to. to. Yeah, and you know, the idea is really pretty simple. I predicted that groups that have a lot of threat, whether it's human-made invasions or or natural-made, will need stronger rules to survive. They need to coordinate. Like, in those contexts, these are collective action problems. We need people to follow rules. We don't want defectors. And actually, that's what I showed, that across the board, in general, tight cultures tend to have more threat, loose cultures have much less threat. I then uh, was looking at the trade-offs of these kinds of things, like what does it confer to groups? And it turns out to be a pretty simple principle applies to nations, to states, to organizations, uh, to households that, you know, tight cultures give a lot of order. Mm-hmm. Uh, loose cultures are pretty disorderly. But on the flip side, loose cultures are very open and tight cultures have a lot of problems with openness. And just as an example, like crime is much lower in tight cultures. There's a great wait, wait, don't tell me show that was like Japanese police officers need more of what? Everyone's guessing, you know, maybe they need higher salaries, more vacation times. It turns out they need more crime Mm -hmm. because there's very little crime. So they try to get people people on to commit crimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they're so bored. Uh, They also have more synchrony. Synchrony is a really powerful principle, you know, more uniformity. Even if you go around the world and you look at city clocks, Mm -hmm. you'll find that they say that more likely to say the same time in places like Germany. And if you're in like Greece or Brazil, you're not quite sure what time it is. Mm -hmm. Things like avert more disorganized. And also there's more self-regulation in tight cultures. There's less gambling, less debt. They're even less fat. Mm -hmm. You know, we actually measured this. And that makes sense because when you have strong norms, you have to really manage your impulses a lot. And so that has a benefit of order to help with those kinds of threats. Mm -hmm. You know, on the flip side, loose cultures have much more openness, like to different ideas. They're much more creative to different people. 
uh, and to change. So as an example of one of the weird experiments we did, we sent RAs around the world wearing warts on their face. I bought mm-hmm. these. You can buy them easily online. Yeah. Or tattoos or nose rings or just their, their normal face. And they asked for help on city streets around the world or in, in malls asking for, you know, help in stores. And across the board, when people looked normal, everyone helped them Without in different the cultures. No warts. difference. But right. tight cultures were much less likely to help people who look different. Mm-hmm. They're kind of threatening to the order. And loose culture is much more friendly and open. So so we mm-hmm. could see this sort of trade-off of order and openness that cultures have. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, like, then we started to look at this at the state level. Can we look beyond blue versus red? Like, is tight loose something that we can differentiate in our mm-hmm. own nation? Not all nations have this kind of variability. But um, we then set out to do that and then look at organizations uh, and households. I, I did want to mention that there's exceptions, of course. Like, every theory has their exceptions. Right, sure. So places like Israel is a good example of a place that's pretty threatened. Mm-hmm. But it's exceptionally loose and mm-hmm. wildly creative. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really important to look into that context and see, oh, why not? Why might that be the case? And one of the good reasons for this is that it's pretty diverse, so diversity pushes toward looseness. Mm-hmm. The other is that the religion promotes debate. There's that kind of funny joke of, like, there's three Jews talking about something, ten opinions. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I know this, actually. Like That's my, an oldie, but good. You know, I, you know, my daughter was getting about mitzvah, and, and she starts disagreeing with her Torah portion when she's mm-hmm. reading me her speech. And I'm like, sweetie, why are you doing that? She's <laughs> like, well, the rabbi told me to do that. Right, right. You know, there's no set rules. And mm-hmm. I think that that is what's overriding some of the threats. Right. So it, that's a really cool exception. So when you do that, so, you know, I talked to a tech and media, largely a tech audience, but others, too. The imagery of tech is as rule breakers, And if you look at innovative cultures around the world over history, they tend to be that. Can you talk about that and if that changes, how that changes? Yeah. So in the book, Rulemakers or Breakers, I have a whole chapter on organizations. And, you know, it's also kind of this hidden dimension of organizations as it is with nations. So we have some industries where you need a lot of rules, like in, you know, airline industries or nuclear power plants or in Mm -hmm. the military. Like they have more threat. They have more coordination issues. On the flip side, places like tech, uh, advertising, Clearly, startups, like, they really have much less threat, and they have more diversity, and they have more mobility, and so they're much looser. One of the interesting things, I think, though, that I write about is what I call the Goldilocks principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's basically, as it sounds, it's, you know, all in moderation, not too hot, not too cold. And 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 in organizations, even if organizations veer tight or loose for good reasons, if they get to the extreme, they have serious problems. And mm-hmm. I think that's one thing we see. We'll talk about that. They get to... Well, for example, United became, you know, it has to be tight, but obviously, like, people were following rules blindly, and and they needed to kind of introduce some discretion into that system, some looseness. I call this sort of flexible tightness. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to change the whole organization. You don't want people in that industry to be, like, making up all sorts of shit. You know, you don't want them to be following some rules. You know, they'll open this door. Yeah, on the flip side, and I think United is trying to do that after that PR fiasco. Which is when they were dragging the customer off. Exactly. Were were they killing the dog? Which one one of (laughs) them? (laughs) You know, and, you know, then there's the kind of flip side of, like, cultures that get exceedingly loose. Mm -hmm. And they also have problems. Like, I mean, I think we can nominate places like Uber that Mm -hmm. were loose, but then were, you know, characterized as being, like, you know, really, like, exceedingly normless. And Mm -hmm. and those contexts are also unsustainable. And Mm -hmm. they need to kind of introduce some structure into them, which I call structured looseness. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a dynamic construct where Mm -hmm. companies and industries— you know, if they fall into these, you know, they veer tight or loose, but then when they get too extreme, they have problems. Tesla might be another good example of this because it's a creative, incredible place, but there's a lot of production problems. And, you know, it's interesting because innovation, 
which is, of course, you know, high tech, it requires both tight and loose. Like, it mm-hmm. requires the creativity. But if you don't have the people who are going to implement it, the tightness that helps to actually scale it up, then it could have problems. So I think identifying, you know, some of the types of people, the people and the practices and the leaders of these organizations mm-hmm. are very different. And so right. that's another sort of general principle. When companies try to merge mm-hmm. that very on tight loose, they have huge problems. And I write about the price tag of those mergers mm-hmm. in, in the book. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of other interesting application of this, whether it's, you know, again, it's dynamic. So people try to merge to gain strengths of looseness or tightness, and then they find, I can't stand these people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How right. do you negotiate this ahead of time? We should be negotiating culture mm-hmm. versus just thinking it's all technical. Like, we, we, we're going to gain a lot of advantages technically right. from merging. So you're find, trying to find people to complement you, and it doesn't always result in that. Yeah, I mean, you can look at, like, um, Amazon and Whole Foods, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know— clearly looks like a match made in heaven, but they come from very different worlds in terms of tight loose. If ahead of time they can identify, well, wait, you know, we, we respect the culture of Whole Foods. It's pretty loose, but let's figure out where we need to be tighter there, mm-hmm. but allow looseness um, mm-hmm. in other contexts and right. to, to maintain itself. Likewise, like Amazon, veers tight. Like where places could we introduce some discretion there? And I think these are the kind of things that you can negotiate ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You can sort of sit down and do an assessment, a d- cultural diagnosis of where the tight and loose domains are in these organizations. And and I think it would make for a far more successful merger. Mm-hmm. We're here talking with Michelle Gelfand. She's the author of a new book called Rule Makers, Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures uh, Wire Our Minds. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about some of the companies in tech because I think they are facing some challenges going forward on how to manage their cultures. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this episode comes from LinkedIn. It's hard to make great decisions when you have lousy information. It's even harder when you don't have any information at all. LinkedIn can help you overcome these challenges with technology that translates comprehensive, high-quality data into dynamic insights so you can make better choices. They call it deep sales. Their next-generation LinkedIn sales navigator is the first deep sales platform. With 950 million-plus members, LinkedIn is able to access high-quality, first-party comprehensive data on companies and buyers. The LinkedIn Sales Navigator can provide insights and recommendations at a scale impossible for humans, unleashing seller superpowers and increasing revenue. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com trial. That's linkedin.com trial for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. We're here with Michelle Gelfand. She's the author of Rule Makers, Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures Wire Our Minds. We're talking about the benefits and negative parts of each of those things. And again, I want to drill down more into tech. You mentioned a bunch, Tesla, Uber, um, Facebook. Uh, you didn't mention Facebook yet, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Most tech sees themselves as rule breakers, when in fact, you're right, those successful ones are much tighter than you think about. Can you just talk about that and like what changes as they get bigger and more powerful? Because yeah. they continue to see themselves 
as rule breakers when, in fact, they make all the rules and yeah. they run the show kind yeah. of thing. And they don't ever see themselves that way. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think, you know, what happens is, and I, I write about this in the book, you know, there's a lot of, this kind of a serial startup phenomenon where, like, the whole goal is to get bought out and to scale right. up. But then when right. you, you enter those organizational cultures, they're just so different and they're so rule-oriented. And mm-hmm. they need to be because they have much more coordination. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what we find is people then, they, they're coming from a loose standpoint, people think they're irresponsible and they're kind of crazy and mm-hmm. don't have any discipline. And the flip side, people coming from the startup culture are thinking, you know, they're just so rule-bound and they don't, they're don't they not fluid enough and mm-hmm. they don't anticipate these problems. And then they a lot of people leave. And, and I think this is the same issue of mergers. But, you know, what's interesting about the, uh, you know, places like Facebook, like you're saying, they do make the rules. That, you know, it's clearly the case that they didn't anticipate the human psychological issue that happens on the Internet. And mm-hmm. I know I, I remember reading your awesome you know, New York Times article about Zuckerberg should have took some humanities in college mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. understand. Actually, he should have taken psychology, right. social science, because for years— He took none of them. Yeah, <laughs> for years, we've known that when people are not monitored, mm-hmm. when they are online and they're not accountable, they do all sorts of weird stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the online disinhibition effect that we've seen in research in the early— 80s even that was looking at like what happens when you're in face-to-face versus you're in you know offline or online or you can't see them yeah. you can't see someone that's right you torture it produces a huge amount of you know is that sex? right you torture people when you <laughs> can't see them. you're more willing to cause more pain when you can't yeah you don't see sort of see the the cues of the mm-hmm. the social presence of people and so mm-hmm. you know what's so fascinating is that for years for millennium we've been operating face-to-face for small-scale societies where we create <laughs> rules and we keep each other accountable and then we sort of scaled up with the industrial revolution which is bad and good things because if you can see someone, you can be discriminatory, or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it has the internet has you know that lack of social presence also has all sorts of benefits of being free and open, but it has a really serious downside of of excessive looseness. Mm-hmm. And in the book, I talk about context where you know we need to think strategically about how to use social norms to better mm-hmm. the planet. Sometimes we need to tighten up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need to loosen. And the internet is a great example of you know that it's a context that we. I believe we have to have more of this Goldilocks principle. Mm-hmm. It's it's because of this psychological uh, lack of accountability. People do all sorts of terrible things on the mm-hmm. internet, and Americans are really kind of, you know, not all, but many people feel like we, we should err toward freedom. But the reality mm-hmm. is that both extremes, as I mentioned, are problematic. And I think that that's where we see that there was this unanticipated kind of, you know, th- we didn't realize the impact that the internet would have on human behavior, well, and why, we live on uh, online all the time right. now. Why didn't we realize? I mean, it's really why didn't these leaders realize it? What I'd love to first talk about is the idea of that. One of the things they talk about in tech a lot, for sure, and I think a lot of places now, but tech was the first group to really talk about it out loud, is this is our culture. This is, you know, don't be evil or whatever Facebook's is. But they all talk about how they're building a culture, and this is a, it's critically important to, for their identity to have that. Yeah. Um, that wasn't around. You didn't think of cultures before. Yeah. I mean, I I mean tech <laughs> was the first place that just touted it so heavily. Yeah, I think, you know, philosophers for centuries have been pondering how much freedom should we have versus constraint. Mm -hmm. And you see people like Plato or Confucius, you know, Mm -hmm. or Hobbes that say, you know, we need rules to coordinate. You know, we can't just let people go. And Mm -hmm. then you have, you know, flip side, John Stuart Mill and other people, even Freud was kind of acclaimed over a lot of rules, Mm -hmm. thought they'd cause a lot of neuroses. Mm And I think that those debates never entered that tech world. Mm-hmm. It was never like, you know what, like this is going to be a totally free world. We only see the advantages of that. And there are many advantages, you know, economic efficiencies, openness, except that, you know, we kind of underestimated people. Again, psychologically, people are not just going to, you know, start interacting with people outside of their echo chambers. Right, right, right. So right. I think there was this sense that, you know, 
the focus on the positive. And I think that's respectful in a lot of ways that the mm-hmm. internet has done so many things for the world and high tech and in terms of that openness. But it's lost. It's gone out, spiraled out of control because of the lack of rules and the mm-hmm. lack of accountability. And I think what's exciting is to see that it's starting. I mean, humans are kind of adaptive. Like you're starting mm-hmm. to see that we live online. We have to make it more of a normative place. And mm-hmm. we're starting to try to figure this out, like kind of trial by error. So like Reddit is a great example. You know, mm-hmm. they they really promote open discussion as far as I can tell. But you know, they really want people to debate. They don't want to squelch, you know, mm-hmm. dissent. But they yeah. also say, look, guys, like we got to like, you know. Recently. Get, yeah, that's right. Recently. We got to get rid of people. Because they were down in the like. <laughs> They were down in nasty lane for an awfully long time for growth (laughs) because all that debate started it. Like, how does that – when you're – I just recently interviewed Nicole Wong from – he used to work for Google and Twitter. And she was talking about how we need to introduce a slow food movement into the internet. Many people feel that tech has exploded because of this lack of rules, because of the looseness, because of anything goes. When you have that culture, it's very hard to throttle it back for sure. Yeah. Or you think of yourself that way almost continually. Yeah. I mean, because we live in this new world, like this is where our lives are taking place now. Uh, mm-hmm. And so like we did in the Industrial Revolution, we, we, we figured out a way to coordinate and have rules that helped people to cooperate across mm-hmm. hundreds, if not thousands of people. Now we have the same problem. And it's the issue is that we just kind of didn't realize it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't think about the psychology. So why of the not? Internet. Why didn't? Um, I think because people are they focused certainly on took the, the money. <laughs> yeah, I think that it was you know a process of you know that this is getting so successful technically, it's providing a lot for the world. But mm-hmm. really, what it's also doing is is it's now in, inhibiting us as in our communication, our elections, all because we have no norms and rules, and and that's why we see that it's starting to happen bottom up because people want to live in a world that has some kind of, you know, respect and mm-hmm. etiquette, and they're starting to push back. I, I talk to my kids about it. How do you identify norm violators? And w- let's talk about this. I have a, have a course on it. You know, mm-hmm. let's kind of have a driver's license, you mm-hmm. know, as, you know, the co-founder of the internet said. Like, let's kind of be mindful about this is our new world. But then it also has to come from top down. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where you see, like, the United States is really struggling with this. Mm-hmm. You know, how much should we be regulating the internet? I think we need they that Goldilocks balance. And it's mm-hmm. just people don't think about the psychological consequences. And, and you know, now we're catching up with that. Right. And I predict that it's really going to, you know, we're going to start having these dialogues. We're going to try to negotiate this in healthy ways. That's well, the hope. I, I think one of the things was from the beginning, this group of people is allowed complete immunity. And there's it's in law. Like, that's right. Except now that's getting chipped away. Yeah. But the, when you're allowed complete immunity, you tend to, I think there's a bright line between that and what happened at Facebook last yeah. year Yeah. in the election. They just yeah. did, weren't minding the store at yeah. all. And people, they say they were, but the results seem to be very obvious that they, they didn't even – in the design of it, they never thought of it. In the uh, – they never thought of it one minute because yeah. they had no strictures on them. Yeah, that's right. right. I mean that kind of lo- – looseness thrives on that kind of lack mm-hmm. of lack of rules and, and having um, less accountability. It produces right. so many great things. But it, right. I think it's catching up with us. We're starting to realize like, wow, like change happened so quickly that now we're just – really at a loss of, okay, mm-hmm. we got to step back and figure out how we're going to regulate the internet. I think the problem also often is that Americans really 
have a hard time with constraint. Mm-hmm. You know, you see in Europe, there's there's much more sort of acceptance of, okay, we need some rules. They want the rules. They want the rules. You know, I think the balance is, you know, we don't want to become, in my view, like China, like mm-hmm. where, the, you know, there's, you know, millions of, you know, people monitoring the internet and squelching defense. I mean, it's clearly excessively mm-hmm. tight, but we're at mm-hmm. the opposite end of this continuum with the extreme looseness. Mm-hmm. And it's unsustainable. And so that's why these conversations at here in Washington I don't blame people like Zuckerberg. You know, I, I think they're not psychologists. They didn't mm-hmm. understand, like, what this freedom is going to do to people. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, Plato and Hobbes and people would have. Right. <laughs> so maybe he should also read some of that stuff. Maybe he should learn <laughs> about it. I think it's part of your—see, I have an opposite thing. I think it's part of your—if you have that much power, you have the responsibility. If you really care, unless then you're just a despot of some sort, yeah. like that you don't care about yeah. the impact. So if you actually purport and say you care about the impact, then you should be highly educated yeah. on yeah. these things. Yeah, and I think now that's happening, that, that accountability that, that says, look, you have power. With that comes responsibility. Right. Actually, in the book, I talk about power and, and looseness. And it's no mm-hmm. question that people that are in high-powered positions have more of a loose mindset. Like people who are minorities, who are lower-status individuals, they live in a tighter world. Mm-hmm. They're subject to more strict punishments for the same behavior. We have research on this. You know, mm-hmm. you tell people in banks, you know, that, you know, Jamal or Letitia did something bad in the organization, like came came late or missed a meeting mm-hmm. versus Lauren or Max or Brad. Like, they're, they even bank managers, I published mm-hmm. a paper on this, you know, they view these behaviors very differently. So it's taken, it's another layer of this. It's taken a while to mm-hmm. kind of say, you're in a high power position. You're living in a looser world where you have less constraints and you need to tighten up. Right. When you think about those rules, I want, in the next section, I want to talk about some of the things uh, people in tech and power should be reading in terms of, of shifting that. But is there, when you talk about this Goldilocks issue, is there an ability to do that? Because it seems to me we just veer from one to the other back and forth over and over again. Yeah, I mean, we do. And and at the national level, you know, in our research, we can see that places that get incredibly normless Mm -hmm. um, invite tight forces because Mm -hmm. it's unsustainable to feel like, you know, this is so— anxiety-provoking. Eric mm-hmm. Fromm talked about it, like, you know, mm-hmm. in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's why people even right now are interested and supportive of you know, populist leaders because mm-hmm. they feel so much threat mm-hmm. and they want a return to the social order. So mm-hmm. there's that kind of, you know, I- I- extreme looseness, however people feel it, whether it's exaggerated or not, and threat invites tightness. Except that the rule break the person they're thinking for rule maker is actually a rule breaker. Well, that's right. I mean, it's unbelievable to see like how is it possible that someone like President Trump is like a, he's a, a, a crazy norm violator. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really interesting. Like we we take norms so for granted that we just can't believe the norms he's violating because mm-hmm. we've taken them for granted in every yeah. other presidency. Yeah. I, I think that it's it's because of his perceived power and because he's not kept accountable by his own party. Mm-hmm. Accountability makes people behave themselves more. Watch people accountable people are, are, are more norm about it. Mm-hmm. But also I think that even his supporters, my hypothesis would be that they're willing to overlook these kinds of norm violations because they're expecting him to return them to a tight, safe order. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a hierarchy of needs. Like, yeah, you can do all that weird stuff, but that's not really why I, I'm, I'm rooting you on because right. I'm looking to 
get back to a safe place. I mean, you got to. It's amazing to think about the complexity of the world these days compared mm-hmm. to like when I grew up in the right. 70s and 80s as, right. as a kid. Like, right. there were so few choices. Like, right. there's so many disruptions no, there now. Were two, three stations, two televisions you could buy. Yeah, and, and that complexity is just totally overwhelming for some people, and, and they they want a tight social order. Right. It's what's explaining what's happening in Brexit, in Hungary. I mean, what we have is a situation where these leaders are not only capitalizing on real threats that people perceive, like the working class. Mm-hmm. We have research on the working class. They're definitely tight because they have a lot of threat. Mm-hmm. The Rules matter to them. They, when we ask the working class to give us five words for uh, five word associations for the word rules, they come up with positive words. Whereas the Such upper as. class comes up with, you know, these are nuisance, like goody right. two shoes. Right. When we bring what are in the positive ones, like things like structure order. and um, order. When you're in a context where you can fall into poverty very easily, when mm-hmm. you would go into a dangerous job and, mm-hmm. you know, you can get hurt, rules matter in that case. We did a really interesting experiment. We brought three-year-olds into the lab, mm-hmm. like working-class, middle-class kids. And you mm-hmm. can't really ask them about, you know, rules, mm-hmm. but you can have them interacting with a puppet. And this guy called Max the Puppet, and he's playing with them, and he's biting by the rules. But all of a sudden, Max the Puppet becomes a violator. He starts mm-hmm. violating all the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. And he's announcing, like, oh, I'm playing the game. And it's called daxing. And then we simply observe the kids. We videotape them and look at how they react. And mm-hmm. then working-class kids, by three-year-old, they are disturbed by these rule violations. Mm-hmm. Their parents are thinking about, what kind of life is this kid going to have? And how can I help them to mm-hmm. survive that kind of context? So the big picture point is some groups are definitely threatened, but these leaders also activate threat, and they are doing threat experiments on us and they're making it out that the world is a disaster and it's a, something dangerous is going on is what mm-hmm. Trump will say and our research shows that that tightens people up tightens that in itself you can tighten they people crave, up they crave fascism then, yeah they want str- it's evolutionary right. it, this is the problem is that it's an right. evolutionary principle when you're under threat you want strong rules and you want strong leaders mm-hmm. it's, a, it's something very healthy it's mm-hmm. real, we've done computer science models like partner with evolutionary game theorists we can see that when threat is increasing groups evolved to have stronger rules and punishments because they couldn't survive without them. The problem is when we are having fake threat that is being targeted to people who are already already very threatened. Um, And we know in our own experiments, if I brought you into my laboratory and started talking about terrorism threats or natural disasters, Mm -hmm. um, that you would tighten up. And Mm -hmm. we've seen that. Within minutes, we can make this happen. Now, it doesn't mean that people will stay that way, but we have a, yeah. a, a pro- right now a big threat machine happening in our right. country and in many other places. All right, we're going to talk about where that's going and also how it impacts business and other things. When we get back, we're talking with Michelle Gelfand. She's the author of the book Rule Makers, Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures Wire Our Minds. Support for this show comes from Fiverr, the world's largest marketplace for freelance services. In the fast-paced world of business, every decision counts. And when it comes to hiring, there's no room for guesswork. That's why Fiverr has developed solutions for businesses to make outsourcing projects simple, quick, and compliant. You can gain access to curated talent through Fiverr Pro's catalog of top freelancers, organized by skill and experience. Streamline your projects with a user-friendly dashboard, where you can track progress and collaborate with your team. And for anyone needing the highest level of white glove service, Fiverr Pro's project partners can manage multiple freelancer engagements for you. Project partners will outline requirements, assemble a roster of freelancers, and manage a schedule to ensure your deliverables are completed on time. Ready to scale smarter? Visit pro.fiverr.com to sign up and use code VOX for 15% off any service. That's pro.fiverr.com and use code VOX. 
Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. We're talking to Michelle Gelfin, the author of a book called Rule Makers, Rule Breakers. She teaches at the University of Maryland, um, and she's a cultural psychologist. Are we entering that era of rulemaking now, or is it, or are we about to go into another? Because I would assume it goes up and down, correct? Yeah, I think it, you know, it's something that is dynamic, but what we have now is a situation where we have a lot of problem deciphering whether what's real and what's illusory in terms of mm-hmm. threat, mm-hmm. because threat— when, when we have threat, we want stronger rules and we want stronger leaders. It makes a lot of sense. Um, but right now we're in a situation because of our own leaders, but also because of the Internet, because mm-hmm. we really can't discern, yeah. you know, what's real and what's illusory. And in our research, we can see clearly that when people feel threatened, they want tightness. Mm-hmm. And I, we see that in the United States. When we went, we measured before the Trump election, we measured how threatened people felt. Mm-hmm. And that predicted how much they wanted Trump to be elected. And right. the same thing in France. They wanted tighter cultures. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really pretty common principle. So I think we are tightening up, and we're we're trying to now have a conversation about how much threat do we really have. Um, so talk about the impact of the Internet, because it does, because of the uh, the information coming almost constantly and not sourced as well as yeah, it's I not mean, trusted necessarily. Yeah, and I think the echo chambers that results from homophily, we call it, like people like Homo- to be around. What's the word? Homophily. <laughs> Fancy psychological bubble. Say that again. Homophily. <laughs> okay, it sounds like a Jewish dish. Yeah, actually. it sounds like a Because you said for clump, you said clump before. <laughs> yeah. Homophily. Homophily. It's like, you know, basically birds like a feather flock together. Right. Like we, you know, we're in our own echo chambers all the time, and that makes us to stereotype people that are different. And, you know, I'll just give an example. Like we did this very simple technique where we collected daily diaries from people in the United States and people in Pakistan. And they have really extreme stereotypes of each other. Pakistanis mm-hmm. think Americans half naked all the time. Mm-hmm. They don't just think we're loose. They think we're exceedingly loose. Americans think Pakistanis— If they think of Pakistanis yeah, If they all. know where it is. And if they think of it in, in any way. Yeah, that's right. Whatsoever. If they—that's right, because we're really separate. Aren't they Indians? Yeah. No, you know. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was a question of, like, where is that? Oh, uh, but if they, they don't think about Pakistanis as playing sports or reading poetry. Mm-hmm. They think about them as excessively tight. So what we did is a very simple intervention to get them out of those echo chambers, because they mm-hmm. just meet in the media. They don't mm-hmm. see each other for their daily lives. Yeah. We randomly assign people in Pakistan. Media is a really good point. Yeah, they I mean we can easily within a week no, <laughs> the bad maybe. big bad wolf. We you know, we basically gave them uh, for a week time in Pakistan daily diaries of Americans. They were mm-hmm. they were not edited. So mm-hmm. people were still waking up with their girlfriends and still drinking mm-hmm. more. Americans saw daily diaries of Pakistanis. They were still in the mosques more, but they saw so much of a broader range of situations they were in. By the end of the study, the cultural distance that they perceived between each other was dramatically reduced. Mm-hmm. The stereotypes that they had of each other was dramatically reduced. And they this said is the, things, we are the world thing, right? Well, they, they said, look, we know we're different. It's a small world after all. Yeah, it's, really it's a small world. They, they said, we know we're different, but now we see that we have so much more in common. Right. And I think we need to do that kind of daily diary. So the diary internet doesn't here. put commonality. I think that's it. Really doesn't. That's right. It's, it's just I think it's a and again psychological element that we miss. That people mm-hmm. are going to want to be around people who agree with them. It helps mm-hmm. them to feel like they are valid. Their opinions mm-hmm. are valid. And you know I think we need that kind of 
you know, so direct how, interventions. How do you get that? Because I've written this many times. It's weaponizing. It weaponizes everything. There's nothing that doesn't get amplified or weaponized in some fashion, whether it's the First Amendment, whether it's differences, cultural differences, whether it's a- anything. Just And then it repeats and repeats and repeats itself. So how do you get to that concept of commonality? Well, or, I think we have Or is to, it impossible? It's I don't, just, is, it a, is it a system designed to separate? I don't think so. I think that when we, we have examples of people who are sitting across the table from each other. I wrote mm-hmm. about it in the book in Texas, you know, mm-hmm. people that were really like against immigrants who mm-hmm. sat across from immigrants who said, you know what? I really like America. I love America. Mm-hmm. I want to also maintain my own culture. Mm-hmm. But like I'm here and I have the same desires. They, they spent a lot of time together in this one ex- That's example. physical time. Physical time, it's also it's, it's also challenging each other. It's not mm-hmm. easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have people speaking out against these stereotypes. You know, Molly Tippett's father was a really good example when, mm-hmm. like, people were making it out, like, ext- you know, mm-hmm. making this extreme event of, like, this n- non-documented immigrant, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this was a tragic situation. But then there was all this generalization to all immigrants. And mm-hmm. he, her father said, guys, that's bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is not about an immigrant. This is mm-hmm. about a crazy person. Just like we wouldn't look at a neo-Nazi and say they reflect white people. Mm-hmm. So there are people that are standing out. And, you know, I, I do believe that— But how that, do you do that in a highly digitized culture where people are addicted to these things? Well, because the internet—the original promise of the internet is that we would learn about each other. Yeah. This would bring the world together. And I, I interviewed Jaron Lanier, who I, I love this interview that he did, where he talked about this is the biggest human experiment, uh, experiment on humanity, that <laughs> they're talking to each other. But it's not working. Like maybe it's too much for people to be able to have access to everything because then you get access to nothing. Like, yeah, I, you know, that it's they're not equipped emotionally to see everything. Yeah, well, that's also because the norms are so loose. Mm-hmm. Maybe when we t- can tighten up, we can Such have norms what? of respect that we can will able to be able to talk to each other more. I mean, I I'm why don't why didn't these companies put it in in the first place? That's I I know why. I uh, they they ha- well. I think it's because they never felt under threat themselves, and therefore they never, you know, one internet, pretty big executive, if you said his name, you'd know, and he's like, I had no idea. He just recently got attacked a lot. Yeah. And he's like, I had no idea. And I'm like, welcome to the world of women, people of color, gay people, older people. Like, I was yeah. like, welcome, welcome. <laughs> and everyone has their levels, you yeah. know, going on down. You know, I, I guess I have a little more of a... Um, a different view on this because I think that psychology is ignored all the time. Mm-hmm. When people send people abroad, for example, mm-hmm. big companies who are smart, they change. They they don't send people who are culturally intelligent. Mm-hmm. They don't think it matters. They don't mm-hmm. even think about the cultural element, the psychological element of the fit of these people, these cultures. It's the same with this context. People underestimated how normless this context was going to be and what kind of problems that was going to have downstream. They just don't think about psychology. I mm-hmm. think that's, you know, that's my so what interpretation. what should they, finishing up, what should they think about? Talk about some of the things they should read. As you know, I want Mark to read more in Humanities. I want them all to read it. Well, I would say Goldilocks. Okay, why? <laughs> Goldilocks because just right. Yeah, balance. That mm-hmm. we need to have a balance. We need to live in a world where we have freedom and constraint at the mm-hmm. same time. We need to create a culture of the internet where we feel safe and we feel accountable right. at the same time. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be easy, but I'm, I think with dialogue and with discussions on this and, and, and not the blaming people, really, right. to just say, let's start over now. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out really? how we're going to create 
Well, maybe that's a little optimistic. They got all the money. Yeah. <laughs> they took all the money. They can't know. They just have to fix the friggin' Yeah, thing. I definitely think yeah. they're accountable yeah, they to I don't it. want blameless. I yeah. want blame. Okay. <laughs> I like blame because I think it gives you a, a context of, you know, they, they always want to move to solution without discussing yeah. how it got there in the yeah. first place. I, I understand that. And I, I think that um, they have to be made accountable. They mm-hmm. have to be tightening up their shops. There's mm-hmm. no question. Just like we talked about with Tesla or right. with Uber. Like, they, they were loose and it was really helpful for a lot of things, just like mm-hmm. the internet has produced a lot of positive things, but they, it got excessively loose and now they got to backtrack. Right. And they have to be accountable. I totally right, so agree. Goldilocks? Just Goldilocks, right. I would say the book. <laughs> Rule makers for breakers. No, I know, I got that. But you, um, yeah, I mean, I think some of the psychology literature mm-hmm. on what online behavior looks like, uh, Sarah Kessler, uh, it, um, I can actually, you know, provide some references to put online for yeah. you guys. Um yeah. Just about what lack of accountability does to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say some of Adam Galinsky's work. He's a Columbia that focuses on how power um, leads people to do all sorts of weird things. Like mm-hmm. you know, you think that people, for example, who are in power positions would be more responsible, but they're not because mm-hmm. they they live in a looser world. Right. And I think that they have to understand the psychology of power better as well. The one interesting thing about at least internet moguls is they think they're not powerful when they are. It's the most vexing thing. I, I, I do it all the time. Yeah, that's outrageous. That's, it is out. No, yeah, no, literally. Yeah. They're like, I have no power. I'm like, what? Like, are you kidding? Yeah. That's like, like the fish you in the water. You $64 billion, you do. Like, yeah. you're not, an, oh, I'm just a normal person. I'm like, no longer. Yeah. You're not a normal well, person. Well, that's like the fish in the water. They don't yeah. understand. They're like totally not understanding right. the context. And, right. And I think that's a very interesting way to wiggle out of accountability, mm-hmm. actually. So mm-hmm. that's one thing is to say, like, this is what power produces in people. In laboratory studies, people who are even thought to think about that they're powerful over the people will steal the last cookie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll, they'll do, like, all sorts of things that are anti-normative. Right. Uh, there's studies out of Berkeley that showed that, like, nicer cars, people who have, like, Mercedes and other nice cars, they'll be much more likely to cut off pedestrians than, like, Mm -hmm. a plumber's van. Right. You know, so it's about being mindful about how power affects our behavior, but also about why we need accountability on the internet, why we need more rules. Well, people, it also promotes the situation of doing anything because it's part of your creativity. Like, you know, because I think they worry about innovation being squelched. And innovative cultures are looser. They're more tolerant. They're but they're also the best ones are also tight mm-hmm. because they're they're able to to come up with great ideas. In a sense, it's a sequencing. You know, okay, we have to have a loose mindset here, but then we have to have a tight mindset mm-hmm. as we're trying to implement. In any household, it's the same Goldilocks thing. When I'm raising two teenagers, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, what domains need to be tight? I think most of us, it's a threatening context, want everything to be tight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then you're like, wait a second, maybe we can negotiate this. Like, mm-hmm. what domains in that house have to be tight or loose? Mm-hmm. Of course, it's complicated when your spouse has a different opinion about this. But yes. I tell my kids, I'm like, you could be slobs around the house. That's a loose domain. But you better be nice to your sister. You better do well in school. Right. Uh, try hard, at least. These are things that it, I think healthy systems have a balance of both mm-hmm. freedom and constraint, mm-hmm. of rules and rule rulemaking and rule breaking. Should these rules be impl- uh, just... Like regulation, should it just be imposed or is that the inevitable result? I think it's got to be both. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the book I talk about, it's got to be bottom up. We are living in this world. We have to, as individuals, create a new normative system, just mm-hmm. like we did over the course of our human history mm-hmm. as we had to navigate different contexts. This is a new world and individuals should be accountable. There should mm-hmm. be kind of a one of these a driver's type tests. Like mm-hmm. content should be unregulated, but the way that we speak to each other, the rules that we abide by have mm-hmm. to be uh, stricter. Well, what was interesting about, say, the recent debates over, say, Alex Jones, and I took the stance, like, throw him off. He I broke t- rules. I, I thought so, too. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Which was interesting. And all the internet people is like, no, we should promote. I'm like, no, no, no. He can talk. He just can't be on the widely available yeah. on your platform if you have those rules. Like, what's wrong with some rules? Yeah, this is the, the American kind of... 
distaste of rules. It and was I was fascinating. And literally, they had no cogent, intelligent argument except to keep it open. And yeah. I was like, that's like, not as good as if enough. we're going to go down this slippery slope. I think this is why, yeah, I hate the well, you know, Goldilocks is really important. I think in our research, we can see that cultures that are either wildly loose or wildly tight have higher suicide rates, mm-hmm. less happiness, more instability. Like, the extremes are really bad. And the internet is a context that has gotten extreme. So mm-hmm. we have to give up some of that freedom for mm-hmm. some order. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a principle that we have to negotiate and, and both bottom up and top down. So to finish, can you give me three things that that these leaders and this industry, I'm just going to use tech because this is what we mm-hmm. cover, should do? Like three things immediately. You see, given all that's happened with the elections, with everything else, you don't have to focus on one company, but like what are the three things people in tech should think about? Well, I think that they have to, first of all, understand the psychology of unaccountability Mm -hmm. and and step back and see, now they understand why this is happening. Because I think without understanding why, they they won't be able to really be committed to solutions. So Mm -hmm. they have to understand why this normless environment has evolved in the first place. Right. I think the second thing is they need to take action to create more rules. And Mm -hmm. I think getting rid of, you know, that guy was a great idea. Mm -hmm. I think having... Encouraging forum online to be more regulated and to kick people out is something that's going to be really healthy for all of us, for our kids, for us, everyone. And I think they need to work closer with the government. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all sort of confused about what's what's going on because it happened so fast. Mm -hmm. But now is the time we have to decide, do we need more regulations? Mm -hmm. Like probably yes, I would say. And we didn't expect that this would be the case, but I think this is now why we have to cooperate across Silicon Valley and Washington. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of conflict over this, but I believe that well, it's time to step, make that happen. They're not going to have a choice now. Yeah. And what parts should they keep? Well, I mean, again, this is a balance of like creative, loose mindsets while also realizing that we need some rules. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's uh, impossible to, to have the kind of balance. I think that people start stereotyping, if we have any tightness, then we're going to be so restricted, we'll never, you know, be able to be creative. And that's, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. The best contexts have some kind of balance. It's such a trope, though, in innovative cultures that you can't have anything. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's right. But I think we can see what happens when places get too extreme, mm-hmm. like Tesla, like Uber. And we can start thinking, okay, we do need some structure mm-hmm. in that looseness. And right. that's good for innovation. Right. In laboratory studies of creativity, the groups that have some structure but also a lot of freedom do the best. Right. The ones that have total freedom don't do as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, the psychology literature could be really informative. All right. Great. This has been great, Michelle. Thank you so much. This is Michelle Gelfand. She's the author of a book, Rule Makers, Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures Wire Our Minds, uh, which you can get all over the place. And she's also a professor. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to say hi, tweet at me. I'm at Kara Swisher on Twitter. Michelle, where can people follow you online? Uh, Michelle J. Gelfand on on Twitter. On Twitter. And and then site or? And my website is michellegelfand.com. Right. And you can take a tight loose mindset quiz on there, learn about the book, learn about my research. Yeah. Which one do you think I am? Um... I would say balanced. Yeah. I think that, you know, you have very strong opinions, but yeah. you're also really open. I've listened yeah. to a lot of your podcasts yeah. and you're there to learn a lot, but yeah. you also want some structure. Yeah, I'm a fascist, really. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I, I make good rules. They should follow them. Anyway, now that you're done with this, go and check. I just say them definitively, so that's why they seem so confident. Now that you're done with this, go check out the latest episode of Recode Media. You can find that show wherever you found this one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Saturday. Tune in then. 